So um, many of you know that we are continuing on in uh, a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Be the Church. And um, for, for those of you who might be new to this series, those of you who are watching from home and, and maybe haven't been keeping track, what we've been doing in this series is we've been um, looking at the word church, right? And, and we're trying to get you to think of the word church not so much as... Um, not so much as something like a building that you go to or an activity or an event that you attend, but to think of it as Christians as a way for us to be, right? So over these last couple of weeks, we talked about how we can be the church through our story, uh, just telling people how God has been at work in our lives. We've talked about how we can be the church through our integrity, uh, how, how we live can show people that Christ is our King. And last week, we talked about how we can be the church through our worship, how we don't want to reduce worship to just this one chunk of time in a week. We want worship really to be, you know, we want our life to be just one long, nonstop act of worship. Today, what I'd like to do is I want to continue our series, but I want to look at how we can be the church through our readiness. And by that, I mean a readiness to um, to share what we know and believe about God and about Jesus as our Savior. And when you think about it, this is critical. This is absolutely critical for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We, if we're going to be the church, we need to be ready to share what we know and believe when the opportunity arises. And, and like Laura mentioned just a moment ago, there are going to be plenty of opportunities when, those, when God is going to provide those opportunities. You just don't know when. So the question is, when that opportunity comes, will you know what to do and say? And so to help us to be the church through our readiness, what I'd like to do is I'm going to look at this story that Mark read a moment ago from Acts chapter 8. And as Mark mentioned, it's this guy named Philip. He meets up with this Ethiopian official and he shares Jesus with him. And the reason why I'm using this story is because as Laura mentioned and Mark mentioned, Philip was ready. He was ready to influence this guy, this Ethiopian for Christ. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to simply share some truths with you today um, and some illustrations that I think can help you, us, to be the church through our readiness, okay? So to be the church through your readiness, the first truth that I want you to understand is that you need to be where God wants you to be. And we're just going to call this kind of a physical readiness, okay? It's physically being where God wants you to be, because otherwise you're not going to influence anybody if you're not in the right place, right? Philip was in the right place. Look at this. In verse 26, the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So God makes sure that Philip is in the physically correct place. And he goes even a little bit further. This is verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip was physically in the right place, right? And, and he was precisely where God wanted him to be so that he could influence that Ethiopian for, for Christ. And, 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 of course, God may not speak directly to you like he did Philip. But you need to understand that God will lead you to where he wants you to be. And you will be where he wants you to be for a reason. Think about it. You are 
where you work or where you go to school, okay, for a reason. You are. You are in your home, your neighborhood, or in your apartment complex for a reason. You got to keep that in mind. You are, you are working out at your gym or in your spin class or on your sports team for a reason. You are in your group of friends. You have certain members of your family. God has put you there for a reason. And he put you there so that you could influence others for Jesus. Okay, so you are physically where God wants you to be. And you can't miss that. To be the church through your readiness, you want to understand that you are where you are because that is exactly where God wants you to be. That's truth number one. Truth number two, to be the church through your readiness, you also want to be aware of the people around you. And, and I'm going to call this a spiritual readiness. So not only are you physically exactly where God wants you to be, but you also want to be aware of where people are at spiritually. And here's why. The people that you interact with throughout the day are going to fall into basically two camps. Okay, either the one camp, which says um, that, you know, the, the, the one camp where people really don't want anything to do with Jesus, if you start talking to them about spiritual matters or about faith, it's going to turn into an argument. Ooh, a lot of hostility. That's one camp. The other camp are those, however, who are more open, right? They're more receptive to hearing about spiritual matters. And the Bible would call a person in this camp a person of peace. These are people who are receptive to what you might have to say about Christ or about God, okay? So you want to be aware of who that person is because it's easy to miss if this is a person of peace or not. So you need to be alert to that. Uh, kind of like Philip was, in verse 30 it says, it says, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So Philip heard that the guy was reading the Bible. He put two and two together and said, this guy's probably a person of peace. He's probably receptive to what I might have to say to him about Jesus. See how that works? So, so you know, you just, you want to be alert to that. You want to be aware. And just as Philip was aware of where that, that Ethiopian was spiritually, you want to be just as alert to the people who are around you and where they are at spiritually. And you also want to understand what they might be going through. Because depending on what they are going through, a person may be even more open to hearing about God. For example, people are very open to God when they are under tension. If they are stressed out because of work, if they are stressed out because of their marriage, if they are stressed out because of their finances, if they're stressed, people tend to be, be more open to hearing about Christ. A second time would be when people are in times of transition. Right? Maybe they've just moved into a new home. Right? Maybe they just got newly married. Maybe they just got a new baby. Yay! Maybe they just got a new job. In those times of change, and those are big changes, People are open to hearing more about God. A third time when people are open to hearing about God would be those times when they are facing trouble. When people are, um, maybe when they have, uh, their marriage has fallen apart. Or when their job is, is furloughed and they lose their job. Or, or maybe um, when they are diagnosed with a serious illness. 
Or even, even when the collectors are starting to call about unpaid bills, when people are facing times of difficulty like that, okay, it makes them receptive to and hearing about, uh, to hearing about God. So, so you just, the, to be the church through your readiness, just understand truth number two. You want to be aware of the people around you, whether or not that person's a person of peace, but also what they might be going through as well. All right. Third truth, to be the church through your readiness, you also want to be ready to share your faith. And this is what I'm going to call an intellectual readiness. So not only are you physically in the place exactly where God wants you to be, and not only are you aware of people and where they stand spiritually, but you also intellectually know what to say and do. Acts 8, verse 34 and 35. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then it goes on, and then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. So, so Philip knew what to say. And God wants you to know what to say as well. And, and to help you with that, what I'd like to do is share some illustrations with you. And these illustrations are... are Maybe not going to be anything that you haven't seen before. Maybe some of these will be familiar. Um, but I would encourage you to write them down. So if you have a sermon outline, good for you. You picked up a sermon outline. If you didn't, you might have to grab a piece of scratch paper. But I really want to encourage you to write them down. Why do I want you to write them down? So that you'll have them for future reference. Now, obviously, you can always re-watch this you know, incredible message later and then take notes. But, you know, you're here now, so... All right, so here's one outline, uh, one illustration that you can use. The first illustration is just called, what I'm going to call sharing your faith. And this is similar to what I talked about in, in the first installment of this series. Okay, this is a good illustration to use when a person wonders, why are you a Christian? Okay, I'm going to pull this over here so maybe I'm out of everybody's way. So to draw this illustration, it's very simple, but... You take a piece of paper, get a pen, maybe it's a napkin or something, but you draw out the letters BC and then you draw a cross and you draw out the letters AD. And here's how it works. If a person says, well, you know, why'd you become a Christian? You draw this out and you point to the BC and you say, well, you know, it's a good thing that you asked, but you need to understand that before Jesus, um, before I had a relationship with him through faith, he, he was, you know, I knew about him, but he wasn't in my heart. And in fact, there were times when I, I lived like the devil. And then you tell them, about, and it doesn't have to be this long expo, uh, ex, uh, expository. It's just, you know, to the point. Then you talk about how through the Spirit's power and in faith, you believe that Jesus is your Savior, that he personally lived and died on the cross for you, that he earned your forgiveness, that through him, heaven is your home. It's through him alone. But then you point to the AD part. Okay, the after you have Christ as your Savior and King through the Spirit's power. And you say, life is so much different. You want to know why I'm a Christian? It's because I have this, Jesus has changed how I think, how I act, the way I talk to other people, how I react, my attitude, how I live. You know, back in, before Jesus, it was, it was dark, it was ugly. But now my life has, is joy. I've, I've got a sense of peace I, I have power in my life. I, I, I have um, a sense of purpose. And, and, and it's a simple illustration taking maybe two, three minutes, maybe, 
But this is a good illustration to help somebody understand why you became a Christian. Second illustration to help you be the church through your readiness is what I'm going to call the bridge. And the bridge is a good illustration for those times when a person asks, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And understand, people believe in God. They really do. They believe he exists. They may not say it or admit it, but they do. They also know deep down there is this gap that exists between them and God. They can't quite put their finger on why there is this gap, but they got this gap. So here's what I would do. If somebody asks, you know, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? I draw it out for them. And what I do is I draw out this big, for lack of a better word, gap. And I put the word us on one side and God on the other. And again, this might be a familiar um, illustration for you. You may have seen this before. But it's a really good illustration because um, it, when people are wondering, why do I feel separated from God? And, and so you draw this gap and you need to tell them, okay, because they're not going to know this by their own just natural knowledge. You have to tell them every other religion in the world teaches that you have to get across this gap all by yourself. You're on your own. You have to be good enough. You have to do enough. You have to follow certain rituals. You have to follow and recite certain, you know, prayers. You have to do all of these things to try to cross this gap on your own. And here's the problem, and you share this with them, you don't really ever know if you've done enough. You just, you don't. A lot of people try, but then they remember that time when they were on the highway and somebody cut them off and, ooh, he got ugly. So they kind of, they're wondering, I don't know. And they don't. They really don't. And so what people do, because they don't like how they feel, they will not think about it. They won't think about what's going to happen after they die. So instead, they'll think about their work or think about making more money or they'll think about uh, their you know, sports teams or they'll think about uh, their family or retirement or whatever. They'll think about anything but this gap. And it's a terrible way to live. So you, you share with that with them. You just say, you know, people think they can get across, but they really don't know. This gap, you need to tell them, is caused by sin. And nobody, nobody can cross this gap on their own. It'd be like jumping across the Grand Canyon. How many of you, quick show of hands, how many of you have seen the Grand Canyon in person? All right, big hole, right? Big hole. It's beautiful, but it's a big hole. I mean, and if you've been on the south, the south Rim, which is where most people go, even if you get a good running jump, a really running start and take off, you're not going to get across the Grand Canyon. It's 18 miles across. It'd be like jumping from this stage to the Terminal Tower in downtown Cleveland. Ain't going to happen. You can even use that illustration of the Grand Canyon. Okay, sin is this big chasm. Nobody can get across. But... You say, God saw this gap, and again, this may be very familiar to you, but this it's, makes it easy to draw out. You draw a cross, and you use the crossbars to cross or bridge that gap. You say, even though we can't get across on our own, God sent Jesus, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he bridges that gap for us. Through Jesus Christ and through him alone, we are able to move from death to life. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and he will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So you, you just tell them when, the spirit, when, a, when a person by the spirit's power believes that Jesus lived and died for them personally, they are forgiven and saved. And they are able to enjoy a life of fulfillment and purpose and meaning. And, and this is key, 
they have confidence, absolute confidence of where they're going to be when they die. There isn't this, well, I'm not sure. You can know with absolute confidence that through faith in Christ, heaven is your home. So that's a good explanation, or I said a good illustration to explain or answer the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? Third illustration is the do versus done illustration. And this is a good illustration when somebody says, you know, Christianity just has too many rules. And, and I've had people say that. Boy, you know, Christianity, there's just so much stuff. And so what I do, it's very, this is a very simple illustration. I just draw out the letter, uh, two letters, D-O, do. And, and, I, and you understand why they might be thinking this. Say, yep, I get that. Because every other religion in the world says, it's what you have to do to be saved, to earn God's love. It's up to you and what you can do to, to, to save yourself. And, and a lot of people, um, you know, think Christianity falls into that same category. That there's this list of to-dos or maybe don'ts. You know, don't smoke, don't be angry, don't drink, don't have fun, don't do this, don't do that. So you need to explain to them, yes, I get that. I can see where you might be thinking Christianity is a bunch of rules that you have to follow, the things you have to do. But really, and then this is, again, a very simple illustration. You say, but Christianity really isn't about what you do. It's about what God has done. That's the difference. Christianity is about what God has done, not what you or anyone can do, because you never can do enough, but what God has done through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, if somebody thinks Christianity is just a bunch of rules, a bunch of things you have to do, you can just draw that out, and you can say, yep, I get that. A lot of people think that. But really, the essence of Christianity is what God has done in Jesus. All right, one last illustration. And this is what I'm going to call the morality. Um, there's the passage. <laughs> Sorry about that. So um, this is called the morality ladder. And the morality ladder is a good, um, it's a, it's a good illustration to use when people think that you know, Christianity is nice, but I don't need God. Um, I, I believe God is a loving God, and I'm a good person, so he's going to send me to heaven. I don't need God. I've had people actually say that to me. So they, they have in their minds this ladder, of this, moral, uh, this ladder of morality, and they're up here. You know, they're fine. They, they're, they're so high up that they, they, uh, they don't, they're in heaven. So here's what I do. When people say to me, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I need God, I draw out this ladder. And, and you want to make it long enough because of what you're going to do in these next few seconds. First, you say, well, let me just draw out this, this ladder. We're going to call it the morality ladder. And at the top are the, the best of the best of people. And at the bottom are the, the dregs of society, right? The worst of the worst. And so what I'll do, and I've done this before, I've asked them, so tell me, without mentioning any names, no name calling, but just what kinds of people do you think would be at the bottom of that ladder? And, um, and, and they'll usually throw out things like, you know, terrorists, yeah, that's a good one, murderer, and, and I'll write those down. Child molesters, rapists, okay, so we got those written down. I said, fine, so what do you, who would be at the top? Who do you think would be at the, the best of the best, the complete opposite? And they have to think about it a little bit more. 
But they might say, well, you know, missionaries. Oh, that's good. Missionaries, evangelists. Yep, write those down. Uh, teachers, yay, teachers. Um, first responders, medical personnel. Those are all fine. So, yep, perfect. Got all those up there. And <laughs> this, is, this is where it gets interesting. I say, okay, all right. So we got the best of the best, the worst of the worst. Where would you see that you are on this ladder? Where, where, where would you put yourself? And I always have them physically take their finger and point to it because that makes it tangible. And, and here's where it gets interesting because 80% of Americans believe they are good enough to get into heaven. 80%. So invariably, they're going to look at the best of the best and they know they're not any better than that, but they know they're certainly not down here by the, the worst of the worst. So invariably, this is the best of the best. They're like, how about right there? <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But then I give them a pen. I say, okay, now, this is a morality ladder. Okay, so um, where would you draw that dividing line that separates those on this ladder who go to heaven and those who don't? And again, this is interesting. It's, it's always interesting to see where they draw that line. But in, in many cases, what they'll do is they'll, you know, they point it here, they'll draw the line because they think they're good enough to get into heaven just below them. And I say, okay, that, that, that's, that's good. But let me just tell you that God has already drawn that line. So you need to tell them this. God has already drawn the line of absolute perfection, and it's nowhere on this ladder. It's up here, which means nobody is good enough to get into heaven. And they're usually surprised by that. But then you need to explain to them, even though the line of absolute perfection is, is way up there, God sent his son Jesus to cover the span of that ladder. And you got to draw the cross big enough to cover every rung. To cover not just the best of the best, but also the worst of the worst. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So whether the person thinks that they are the worst of the worst, scum of the earth, or whether the person thinks that they are the best in the world, they aren't good enough. But through faith in Jesus, their sin is covered. They are forgiven and saved. And, and so this is a great illustration if somebody says, I don't need God. You can point yourself, yeah, well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. One last verse, Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace so that you may know how to answer everyone. That you may know how to answer everyone. And that's my prayer that's my prayer for all of you, that you would know how to answer anyone who might ask any of those questions that we talked about or any question, that you would be prepared to influence them for Jesus, okay? That by the Spirit's power, you would be the church through your readiness. So let me just close with a couple of action steps for you, okay? First of all, let me just challenge you to follow God's lead and be ready to influence others for Christ, God is going to provide you with opportunities. I guarantee it. <laughs> they will come. So don't, you know, be on guard. Be alert. Be ready. Be prepared. Second, love others and be alert to what, might be, uh, what they might be facing. Okay? Be alert to the people around you, especially if they are going through a difficult time or a time of stress. Just as a Christ follower, you want to love them. 
Right? You want to share compassion and, and care for them. And remind them they have a God who loves them and cares for them too. Because that's just a time when they're open. And then the third thing I would really want you to do, challenge you to do, is learn and practice these four illustrations. These are really easy. Right? You know that. But you have to learn them because you will forget them by the end of the Super Bowl tonight. You're like, what was that third one? You, you will. So learn them, practice what you're going to say so that... Again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be the church, right? We can be the church through our readiness and influence others for Christ. All right, would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible gift that you have given to us in Jesus. You know, my prayer today is that all of us would be ready to explain uh, the, the, the faith that is within our hearts and that we would do it with joy and, and boldness. Uh, Father, I thank you for this series, and I thank you for blessing us through it. Um, continue to lead us and guide us and direct us and empower us. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.